0: What's up, hockey fans? There are four teams left in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're going to dive into those four teams, and we're going to find out just exactly how they got to where they are right now. Oh, and in case you weren't already aware, the Tampa Bay Lightning are a fucking wagon. And if you're not entirely sure what that means, they're really good at hockey. (laughs) Let's go there's four teams left the Tampa Bay Lightning are facing the New York Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals and the Vegas Golden Knights versus the Dallas Stars in the West are those the four teams you had in your bracket maybe maybe not I bet two of them likely are not so many people probably thought they would be seeing the New York Islanders or the Dallas Stars this far along but that's the fun of the Stanley Cup playoffs so as well As of this date, it is currently September 8th. I am watching one of those games right now. So, yes, the conference finals are already underway. We have a game completed by both sides. And I believe the Vegas Golden Knights are up 3-0 right now on the Dallas Stars. So they're likely to even that series. The Tampa Bay Lightning and New York Islanders will play again tomorrow. We'll get into stuff like that later. Let's talk about how these four teams got to where they are right now so the last time i was here speaking into this microphone it was round one the actual round one so there was around everything's a little different right these are COVID times the COVID cup we talked about that as well it's a different time this is a different experience for all of us and we're all just trying to enjoy hockey as best we can in this situation basketball doing the same thing out there in orlando football's supposed to start soon there's a lot of sports trying to figure things out still Some of the individual sports, it's a little bit easier, but a lot of the team sports, it's a much tougher task um, to try to complete everything. Now, for a playoff atmosphere, you can still get this done within the bubble. So we're still talking about, you know, the Toronto and Edmonton bubbles here for the National Hockey League. So after this first round that we discussed, a lot's happened. We're now in the conference finals, and we're going to start here with these four teams. We're only going to talk about these four teams today for the most part. sprinkle on a little bit of the teams that got eliminated by these four teams but for the most part I'm focusing on these guys right now after the finals we can talk about a lot of the other teams and where they can kind of go from here and you know we can experience a little bit more of what they went through in these in these playoffs in this bubble but let's talk about the four teams that are left and we're going to start with the Tampa Bay Lightning because not only are they the best team but they were the best team last year and they didn't get out of the first round last year Not only that, they didn't win a game in the playoffs last year. And this is a team that I believe had 128 points. Nikita Kucherov had 128 points, I believe, as well. This is an absolutely dominant team on paper. The work done by Steve Iserman as a general manager to put this team together. Now, he's not with them anymore. He's now in Detroit. And if he can do literally anything remotely close to what he's done in Tampa... As far as building a team on paper, how they perform is not the GM's fault, in my opinion. That's up to them. That's up to the coach. That's up to everything else. But putting this team together the way Iserman did? Flawless. And really, it's it's almost unfortunate that he's left before they were successful. Granted, they should have gotten this done last year. But the reason why they didn't, they lost to a team who had never won a playoff series in their franchise history in the Columbus Blue Jackets. And of course, as life would have it, they had to meet again in this bubble. So it was a different situation for a lot of teams. Some teams were in a round robin to start. It was weird for some of those teams because you weren't really sure how to gauge where they were at. You looked at the Boston Bruins who lost, I believe, all of their round robin games. I mean, they, they ended up going from being the President's Trophy winners to coming in fourth. Uh, so it was all kind of mixed up a bit as everything kind of started and got going. But again, once the real playoff started, it was Tampa and Columbus again. Now, I think a lot of people were really excited for a potential Toronto and Tampa matchup just based on the crazy offense that could have come from that. But again, we're not focusing on the teams that lost so much. So sorry, Toronto. You'll have your day. TSN will talk about you for three straight weeks um, before they eventually move on to the Raptors. Maybe they're talking about the Raptors now. I don't know. But the Columbus Blue Jackets, man. They will once again have the coach of the year, the Jack Adams Award winner, John Tortorella. This guy is incredible with what he's been able to do. The fact that they were put in this position again to potentially upset the Tampa Bay Lightning again in the first round. Last year, they had guys that it it didn't make sense that they beat Tampa, but in the same realm, we're talking about a team that had guys like Artemi Panarin, Matt Duchesne, Sergei Bobrovsky. All three of those guys left. You can even throw in Ryan Dezingle because he ended up um, signing with Carolina. But all of these guys were deadline acquisitions or guys they brought in last year to make a real difference in Columbus. Kirk Kalainen, the general manager of Columbus, did a hell of a job to bring all these guys in and, and give it a shot. And it didn't work. They won in the first round but eventually lost. But man, what an upset it was for Tampa. And Tampa had to get over that demon. And for the most part, you thought, okay, okay, here they are again. And it was a fun, sexy pick for a lot of people to say, I'm going to pick Columbus. I think Columbus is going to beat Tampa again. And I understood where people were coming from. If you go back to episode two, I still picked Tampa. But I was curious to see how this would go. But for the most part, I, I didn't think it was going to be an ultimate issue. If it was, there's a serious problem to talk about because the the disparity in talent between these two teams is it wasn't close is the best team in the league by far. And we'll get to Vegas because I, I, have, I have a lot of high thoughts and praise for the way that team was put together and, and where they are over there in the Western Conference. But the Tampa Bay Lightning are the best team on paper in the National Hockey League, and to me, it's not close. And we'll get into the reasons why. But this team had to exercise the demons of the fact that they were swept by Columbus last year. So they had to get over that. And of course... This series started unbelievably with a five-overtime game. That's how these first round of the playoffs began, a five-overtime game in game one between Tampa and Columbus. Now, I'll just say this. If Columbus won that game, which it could have happened at any point in time on some crazy shot, especially we're talking five overtimes, if Columbus had won that game, I don't know what would have happened in this series or what would have happened to the mental psyche on the tampa bay lightning there's so much more to this game than talent that's why the best team doesn't always win especially when we're talking about seven game series this isn't football with single game elimination this is series where the best team generally is going to win especially in a bubble situation like this there's no travel there's no fans there's no other entities involved that can kind of convolute the actual argument of is this team better than that team because a lot of other things other things factor in to what team actually ends up winning but not in this situation i feel like so it's almost more frustrating when someone gets eliminated in this situation and the first thing some of those fans are going to reach to is well do we count this it's not really the same you know we didn't have our home ice advantage like we normally would have look this is this is just it you're playing in an empty gym the best team wins you don't have to worry about any of the other stuff. None of the outside things should matter. Now, fair enough, you're not with your families. There's some interesting aspects that happen in these playoffs. Again, we're not going to focus on a lot of the teams that lost. But the Boston Bruins had to deal with Tuukka Rask going home early. There was a lot of frustration from the fan base. A lot of people wondering, you know, especially based on his comments beforehand, how much of it was it a real medical situation that he had to go back to? Was you know, we, people didn't know. I'm not going to make any claims on that. But he left and. You know, it's not as simple as being able to go back home to your families, but this is just a unique situation for everybody involved. But Tampa Bay gets that win. Braden Point scores the goal in overtime, in the fifth overtime. Tampa wins that first game, and they advance. They went through, and they they handled things after that first game. And I think they won in six. Columbus fought and scratched and clawed, as any John Tortorella team would do. But Tampa's the better team, and it's not surprising they went on. But that was a very important moment. And I was talking to a good friend of mine about this series that night that Tampa got that game done. Because I, I there was like two other games I was trying to watch that day that I just completely ignored because I said, I can't turn off overtime. <laughs> We're talking second, third, fourth overtime. You can't switch to another game at that point. So I focused all my energy that first day on that first game and looking at these Tampa Bay Lightning. And I really wanted to see what are we talking, because this is the best team in the playoffs again. You know, their regular season wasn't as dominant as it was the year before, but it didn't need to be. You just had to make sure they were ready to go at this point again in the year. It almost would have been more ludicrous if they just had another ridiculous regular season as well. But I I paid close attention to this. So after this first game or during this first game, I was looking, you look at how some of the players are maybe looking at this situation. And looking at where they are in that moment. But I would imagine if the Columbus Blue Jackets won that game, imagine being one of the players on the Tampa Bay Lightning. You just had one of the most dominant regular seasons in the last 20 years, the year before, and got axed by this team. You have a very relaxed coach. I like John Cooper. Every interview I see with John Cooper, if you, if you, do some research and look at his coaching pedigree and how he got to where he is. This isn't a lifelong hockey fan, hockey player, hockey coach situation. This is a guy who, you know, the fact that he's in the spot he's in is very unique. And I, I got nothing against John Cooper. I think he's a great coach from what I've been able to see. Again, he's got all-star team he's coaching. But he seems like a, a fun guy to play for. But that's the question. He's an interesting guy to play for in that he's, I don't feel like he's going to ever really be too hard on these guys. And you look at the other side of who they were playing. John Tortorella is probably the hardest coach in the league to play for. If you don't play a certain style, you'll never make it on his team. And there is probably a good 75% of the league that couldn't play for John Tortorella. And that's crazy. Because this is a guy who's been nominated for Coach of the Year like five times. I think he's about to win his second or third or something crazy. And he deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. To lose all the guys he did and still have a competitive team the way he did is unbelievable. But think about how different it is to play for John Cooper compared to playing for John Tortorella. Cooper is a very just relaxed. He's a player's coach. He wants to make sure his players are, are feeling good. You look good. You play good. feel good everything's good and then my guys are going to be at their best okay that's one way to look at it john tortorella completely different he wants you to be doing anything and everything possible to win and that especially means playing intense level of two-way hockey that means you have to do just as much work offensively as you do defensively or vice versa more importantly, vice versa, because he actually really wants to, you to focus on the defensive end and then find your way offensively. And he's got a horse in Seth Jones that I believe in that first game played a, you know, a record number of minutes. And he said afterwards he wasn't even tired. That's exactly what John Tortorello wants to hear. You know, you saw the back and forth with him and Pierre-Luc Dubois, and that kid's going to be a stud. But I think a lot of it has to do with his ability to play for someone like John Tortorello. But I thought about, think about the, the psyche of the guys on that, on that Tampa Bay Lightning bench, had they lost that game. You look across, you look back at your coach, John Cooper, and you look over at John Tortorella and you say, man, would I rather be really tested by my coach and maybe I would find more success? Maybe we would find more success? Or do I enjoy the comfort of playing for someone like John Cooper? But then all that goes out the window when Brayden Point scores and the Tampa Bay Lightning win, they win this series and they move on. And you realize, you know, maybe they got through that series on talent alone. Maybe. Maybe they did. But it was an interesting dynamic as I watched that game and that series go along. Just such a different dynamic between those two coaches and those two coaching styles and those two teams and everything about them. But the Tampa Bay Lightning, like I said, they're a wagon and they're moving on. This team has performed so well so far. I legitimately forgot that Steven Stamkos was even on this team. He's their captain. He's their best player. You would imagine. You'd like to say, but you almost forget when you look at this roster that Steven Stamkos should be their best player. But is he anymore? Last year, Nikita Kucherov, I believe, had 128 points. It was the most points we'd seen in like 25 years from anyone in the National Hockey League, given the way the game's going, how good the goaltenders are, how good... Defensemen are, and just defensive styles are in the game. You're not gonna see point totals like that anymore. Crazy goal totals, 60 goals like Stamkos, but Kucherov just putting up these video game numbers. You think, okay, yeah, maybe Kucherov has surpassed Steven Stamkos as the best player on this team. Well, guess who surpassed Nikita Kucherov, likely as the best player on this team? Brayden Point. I I go back a couple years ago. And I, you know, I heard inklings about Braden Point. I watched him a little bit, but still didn't get the full idea of just how good this guy is. Right now, he's your Consmyth winner. He's the best player on the best team. It's not close, in my opinion. There's arguments to be made for other people. But at the end of the day, Braden Point right now is running away with it. On a heavily stacked team, he is putting up numbers. He is stepping up and getting things done. And this is is an all-star team. Every, everyone on this team is good. You look, I remember standing at the edge of my stairs at a place I used to live back in Flagstaff, Arizona. A good buddy of mine, Chris Eads, and I were talking. And I remember it was 2015, and the Chicago Blackhawks and the Tampa Bay Lightning were playing in the finals. And I remember saying to him, this Tampa team is going to be so good for a while. And that's when I was talking about guys like Andre Pallot, and Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn. And at the time, Ben Bishop was in goal for them. And at the top of it was Steven Stamkos. All those guys, except for Ben Bishop, still on this team. Except Kalorn, Johnson, and Palat are all playing second and third line roles. And they now have Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and all these other incredible players stepping up and getting the bulk of, of, of the workload done for this team. Andre Vasilevsky is in goal. Man, what a move that was. Again, just all the moves done by Steve Eiserman to, to be willing to let go of Ben Bishop, a guy, a goaltender that took you, again, a great team. So he didn't do it on his own. But if you have a goalie that gets you to a finals as far as being complete enough to not necessarily carry you there, but have a goal you can rely on to get you to the finals. And they moved along from him. And they said, no, this guy Vasilevsky, he's the man. He's the guy. I was very hesitant when they made that move, but obviously it was a home run like everything else Iserman did to building this team. And you could say at this point, Joaquin, you're talking about Braden Point being the best player. You're talking about forgetting that Steven Stamkos even existed. You're talking about how great Nikita Kucherov is. What about the best defenseman in the National Hockey League? Victor Hedman is on this team. Now I got into an argument a while back about who the best goaltender, or excuse me, who the best defenseman is in the league, and it, to me it was between Drew Doughty and Victor Hedman as far as completeness from what they do. I don't care about what the what the Norris Trophy is given to right now. It's basically the best offensive defenseman. If you put up a ton of points, the sexy numbers, you give me an 80-point season from a defenseman. There's your best defenseman. If That makes sense to you, okay? Whatever. Victor Hedman, in my opinion, does it all. On top of, he does everything that Drew Doughty does. He has the physicality, he has the defensive prowess, and he has the offensive side just the same, but he's also six foot six, And you put him on the team he's on, you're just going to see more from him because of it. The Kings are not as good right now. They're not even close. Drew Doughty had his day. He had his time. He's still there. He's getting paid lots of money. But we need to talk about Victor Hedman right now as the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. And... I think that's a fair assessment to make. He's making plays. He's setting things up. He's getting it done. And this guy's just a beast on every inch of the ice. And it's, it's super fun to watch. I love it. This team is exciting on every platform. I was just disappointed in the fact that they didn't get this done last year. Not that I wanted to see them win the cup, but I wanted to see them make a run because the team is just so exciting. And you're seeing it now. They ended up getting through the Boston Bruins as well in, what, five games? Every other team, there was three other teams that went down 3-1. The only team that couldn't get it done and couldn't come back, now granted, they all ended up losing, and the teams that were up 3-1 all won their series. But the only team that couldn't even go back and make it seven, couldn't really push it at all, was Boston against Tampa. And I'm not saying that's a, that's a knock on Boston. That's because Tampa's that good. And again, Rask went home. A lock was in goal. I'm not going to dive too much into that series and exactly what happened there. There was a lot going on. Again, that's the President's Trophy winners. Would the Bruins have done better if there was never a break? Maybe. Maybe. But we don't know. So we can't really dive into that too much. But at the end of the day, Tampa Bay Lightning get the job done. They beat the Boston Bruins. They beat the Columbus Blue Jackets. They beat the shit out of the New York Islanders in Game 1, eight to 8-2. And this team is a scary team that everyone needs to be focusing on and say, man, how are we going to slow them down? And I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure there's another team that can match them talent-wise. Honestly, one of the most intriguing matchups should be a team like the New York Islanders, who we can get into next. But I just, look, Vasilevsky's elite. What a, what a move to move on from Ben Bishop and be good with him in goal. He's proven that. Victor Hedman, the best defenseman in the league. Braden Point finding a way to be one of the best players on an already stacked team, and they don't even have Steven Stamkos. Man, what a wagon the Tampa Bay Lightning are. But let's talk a little bit about the team they're facing. Because what a contrast the New York Islanders are. Now, I'm not going to sit here. I don't want to shit on the New York Islanders. Because again, how did I talk about them in the last podcast? I barely even brought them up. Talked about the fact they're boring. Because, again, that is the general narrative about this franchise. And Ryan Whitney jumped all over that. He's the one that's going to get the most hate from this because he's really spent time focusing on, on how boring the New York Islanders are to watch. And he's right, though, in the fact that they are boring. But if you're a fan of that team, if your team's winning, there's no reason to care about how exciting they are. Because it should be exciting to you that they're winning. But this is, I mean, Barry Trotz and Lula Morello Barry Trotz did this for what, 12 years in Nashville? It just wasn't talked about as much, but all the great defensemen they had, but it was a great defensive system. He generally, for a good chunk of time in Nashville, for as long as he was there, had a team that was well built and put together, but you never really expected them to do much, but they always, I feel like, outperformed what you expected from them. That's what you get with Barry Trotz. Then you give him superstars like he had in Washington. And you get a Stanley Cup. So Barry Trotz, the fact that the Washington Capitals let this man walk and now they've fired the man they replaced him with already should speak volumes. This guy should never have been let go. And again, while well, he wasn't fired, they just didn't re-sign him. And it was a huge mistake from Washington, but we're not going to focus on that. Lula Morello this man knows how to win. And exactly the way we're talking about When everyone uses the example of, man, this Islanders team is so frustrating to play against, what's the best example you have? The early 2000s New Jersey Devils. Who was the general manager? Lou Lamorello. Now, the only thing that frustrates me about Lou, Uncle Lou, whatever you want to call the old man, I hate that that New York Yankees style. You can't have facial hair and you can't, you 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 have to You have to have your hair cut, uh, you know, not be. Basically, it was my high school rules where it couldn't touch your collar, it couldn't be in your face. You have to look professional. That stuff annoys me. We're talking about hockey here. Lettuce, the hair, the flow. It's all a big part of this. It's fun. Let the guys enjoy themselves. But whatever, Lou's Lou. He does his thing. Might as well be on the Islanders because I don't care about any of those dudes. Except for Matt Barzell. Let's talk about him real quick. That guy is a wizard. Everything you see about him... Now, we're talking about a team that we're, we're saying is boring. There's no exciting players. That's not true. It's the system that they have that's in place that isn't exciting. But it doesn't mean it's something that teams shouldn't implement and teams shouldn't focus on. Because I, as someone who spent time coaching... It was college hockey. It was ACHA. But at the end of the day, when you have players that you're you know, focused on it and you're trying to get to play a certain way... There's nothing you want more than players who are willing to fit inside of a system, that are willing to to play a role and know that their role, if they're willing to fulfill it, is for the greater good, is for the, the overall goal that the team has, as opposed to your individual what have you. Matt Barzell is a guy who likely on 90% of the rest of the teams in the league is more than a point per game, is a 90 plus point guy on every team in the league. But he's probably going to be under 80 in the New York Islanders system. Now, that's disappointing, but Matt Barzell is a phenomenal player to watch. Even within that system, it doesn't matter. He's he's, he's on a leash to a certain extent. He's not let loose because they're not just a free-flowing offensive team. But when he has the puck and you watch his unbelievable skating ability, man, he's exciting. And you still have that if you're an Islanders fan because, man, that guy can can do some serious work on his edges. And he can just hold on to that puck all day long, cycle around by himself, and wait for things to open up. And he can cut on a dime and do all these moves. And it's fun. He's exciting. He's the man. I love it. Now, generally, when you think of the Islanders, a lot of the focus tends to go on that fourth line. You talk about Matt Martin, Casey Zizekas, and Cal Clutterbuck. And it's interesting because Matt Martin, they're all they all fit in well with this team. I believe Calcutta played in Minnesota as well, and Matt Martin bounced around a little bit, went to Toronto, but he found his way back to Long Island or Brooklyn, whatever. Sizikas, I believe, has always been in with this team, but it's a perfectly formed, fitting line to what you expect from this team—just hard work and everyone doing their job. So as much as I want to, you know, shit on this team because they just knocked out my team. I love the fact that this team just fits into their roles. They do their job. There's nothing more satisfying for a coach than players who are willing to do their job to just fit into their role and listen. And it's the same thing with Tortorella. You could, maybe it's Trots, maybe it's Tortorella, maybe those guys just have the pedigree where players are willing to listen. Granted, both those coaches have Stanley Cup rings, and maybe that's why. God, if every player could just listen to this one fact, if you have a coach that has a system like that, and if you just do your job, fill your role, do what is asked of you, the results are what you're getting out of the New York Islanders. A team that is far past where they should be. No one expected them to be here. I would have not been surprised in the least if they lost to the Florida Panthers to start the bubble. That was to get into the real playoffs. The Florida Panthers, they got they got Barkov, they got Huberto, they bring in Sergei Bobrovsky, they've got Coach Quenville that they brought in this season. That's a fun team over there with the Panthers. They thought the one thing they needed was goaltending, and Sergei Bobrovsky, who kind of righted things towards the end of the year, but his numbers were awful at the beginning of the year, but they still kind of were competitive because they scored so many damn goals. That is a fun, exciting team to watch. But they got waxed by the New York Islanders in the quote unquote first round to get into the real first round. But that's what this team is capable of. And they proved that. And on top of that, they have a goalie tandem, one of my least favorite things when it comes to playoff time. Now, a lot of coaches love the goalie tandems. They love utilizing multiple guys because you don't want to put all that pressure on one guy. But I think a team, when they have one guy they can really focus on as their goalie, I think that's more relaxing for that team in a general sense overall. But this is a team that we're talking about the, the resurgence of Robin Leonard a few years ago on this, in this defensive style and good for Robin Leonard. Cause he's proving now that it wasn't just that system that why he was successful then, but you're looking back, you look now at Thomas Grice and Simeon Varlamov. Varlamov I still believed in when it came to the Colorado avalanche, but he just kept getting injured And that was the main reason. I never thought that Varlamov wasn't good enough, but he just kept getting injured. That wasn't a problem for some reason. I don't know if it had to do with the style of play between the teams and the the fast pace that the Avalanche have and the defensive style that the New York Islanders have, but he's been incredibly successful with his team and they found a way to make it work with those two goalies. Now again, (laughs) the 8-2 loss to Tampa might have you questioning that a little bit. I mean, Thomas Greiss getting the start after getting the Game 7 start against Philly, when Varlamov started the majority of the games against Philly. Just a weird dynamic. It's tough. It's When you have the tandem, then you got to play that game. And we'll get to Vegas because they have the best tandem in the league by far where they can kind of go with either guy at any point, and you're not really sure, but you're always questioning at that point which guy they should go with. You've got fans that are saying, well, yeah. You know, you should, you know, you really got to go with this guy. Look at what this guy has done in the past. It's the same, it's the same argument in the NFL. If you have two starting quarterbacks, then you have no starting quarterbacks. And that's kind of the same thought process when it comes to goaltenders as well. If you don't have one guy that can just command the crease and be your guy, then you have none. You can say you have two, but it's because you can't make the decision. But the Islanders have made it work for the most part to get to this point. So you look at this team able to, to, to handle the Philadelphia Flyers, to be able to, to handle the Washington Capitals the way they did. What was funny was the way this playoff started, I, I think the Capitals went up 2 or 3 nothing in that first game. I think it was maybe only 2. But that felt like enough. The way the Islanders didn't score, for the most part, throughout the year, and weren't an exciting team, if you figured if they were behind, there's no coming back. But throughout those first couple rounds... They had no issues coming back on teams multiple times. The Flyers blew three leads. Every one of the games they won in that series, they blew a lead and had to win it in overtime. So there's more to this Islanders team than simply playing strong defensive hockey. They're able to play and turn it on when they need to. Now, against Tampa, we'll see. But for the most part, man, I'm impressed because it felt like, okay, they're a strong defensive team, if they get a lead, they'll shut it down, and then, you you know, it's frustrating to play them. That's the, you know, the general consensus when it when it comes to the New York Islanders. But they have proved in these playoffs so far, and we'll see what they can do against Tampa, I, I, I really struggle to believe they really have a chance at all against a team with that much firepower. But in a general sense, what they did, not the defending champs, but to a team that won a cup recently in the Washington Capitals, and a strong up-and-coming offensive-style team in a lot of ways in Philadelphia, they handled both those teams and had no problems coming back on them in multiple situations and winning important games. And that's exciting if you're an Islanders fan. Brooklyn, Long Island, doesn't matter. Now, again, when it comes to the series against Tampa, I got Tampa by a long run. But be very impressed with the New York Islanders. Now in the West... We have the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars. As I'm watching, this game is concluding now. The Vegas Golden Knights have evened the series, so it's now 1-1. They just shut them out. And it looks like, I believe Robin Leonard played. I got home after this game was already in the third period. So I, I have not seen any of this. I'll have to go back and watch it later. And it looks like Flurry did not play. So they went back with Robin Leonard. So let's let's talk about that first, when it comes to Vegas. Because again, I just said I don't like tandems. But there's no other team in the league that has a situation like Vegas has when it comes to these two goaltenders. Mark andre Fleury, when you talk about the way Vegas was put together, he was the centerpiece when the expansion draft happened. There was, was going to be a ton of misfits. It was going to be the land of misfit toys put together for the Vegas Golden Knights. But they were going to have a franchise player and a goaltender where they could start and, and base things off of and start their, their franchise fan base Focusing on Mark andre Fleur. Hey, we got a goalie with three rings. And, you know, a bunch of other misfits. And we'll see what we can put together. And instead, they had this magical year. Where all those misfits were tired of being called misfits. Were tired of being cast aside. Were not happy with the fact that they were made expendable by their team. And picked up by the Vegas Golden Knights. So there was frustration there. There was a chip on the shoulder of every one of these players. So that must have been the reason why they got to where they got that first year and got to that Stanley Cup final. And that's a narrative that I understood and I agree with to a lot of extent, but they have proven in the time since then that not only were they not going to rest on that, but they weren't going to fall apart and just focus on the fact that they had a chip on their shoulder. The work done to improve this team was unbelievable by George McPhee. And I know he stepped aside. He moved into a different role in the front office and allowed Kelly McCrimmon to um to be the technical general manager. I mean they're working together. I think it was more a move to not allow them to let McCrimmon leave um because he's a valuable hockey mind as well, but just lump them in together. It doesn't matter. The work these two men did to continue to build on this team. I focused on this before when talking about the fact that they put together another top line of guys. He brought in, you know, Stasny and Pacioretty and Mark Stone. And man, Mark Stone has Really been a home run move when you look back at that one. But they also brought in Robin Leonard. There's the other tandem. Leonard was a guy who ended up signing a one-year deal in Chicago after having the great season he had in, in Long Island. And it was a weird move. And I remember thinking, okay, maybe Leonard is gonna beat out Corey Crawford for a contract. Because Corey Crawford needed a contract in Chicago. And it was a really interesting dynamic there. Leonard couldn't get the contract extension despite playing well in Chicago. And he gets traded to Vegas. And you're thinking, Vegas? But they got Marc-Andre Fleury. That team's already set there. What's going to happen here? Are they just adding the insurance in case something happens to Fleury? Or is this going to be a real challenge between these two on who starts? And now we're seeing that it's a real challenge between these two teams and who starts. And I wonder how much of that would have been the case if you had Gerard Gallant still coaching this team, but the first real head-scratching decision by Vegas that was a negative that had fans going, what are you doing? Was the firing of Gerard Gallant. It didn't make sense to me, but who did they bring in? Peter DeBoer. Now, (laughs) this really bothered fans given the controversies that happened against the San Jose Sharks the year before. Peter DeBoer, the coach of the Sharks. This is a guy who in his first year in New Jersey was the head coach got them to the Stanley Cup Finals. First year in San Jose, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. This is his first year in Vegas. They now have a tied series with the Dallas Stars, and they're a round away from a Stanley Cup Final. The second in three years for a franchise that's only been around three years. So there's a lot there. Peter DeBoer has no allegiance to anyone on this team. He showed up halfway through. This team was already put together, and you bring in a fantastic coach to do the work. He has no allegiance to Marc-Andre Fleury. If Robin Leonard's not playing him, he's going to play him. And that's been this interesting spot throughout these playoffs at times. Because, again, when you have these two goalies, every move you make, whether you win or lose, if the coach has two potential starting goalies in this situation, this is the only spot in the league where you can say they have two legit number ones. There's other great backups out there. This is the only team with two number ones. And you have to question at times what move to make. And you look at the last round against Vancouver, who, a team that completely outperformed expectations and really had no business playing against Vegas, despite the fact that they went seven games. There's a lot to go with there. I mean, look, Robin Leonard played out of his damn mind in this series for Vegas. He was the third most talked about goaltender in these in that series. Thatcher Demko had a fantastic end of the series when he stepped up after Markstrom went down for for Vancouver so he got a lot of talking about given that I think he had a 98 save streak at one point where he made 98 saves when, and didn't allow anything before they kind of imploded at the end of that game seven although it was a late penalty and it was all over the place but they were completely dominated if, if Vancouver won that game they were going to be outshot by 40 as they did it so thank look I'd rather the better team win is that a fun story sure But then it's Dallas and Vancouver in the conference finals. Like, you want the best teams there. You want the best hockey to be there at the end. And Vegas is going to provide that more than Vancouver. But you had Thatcher Demko who did what he did. And then you had people clamoring for Marc-Andre Fleury. And it's so funny because I, for one, didn't give two shits about Marc-Andre Fleury when he was a Pittsburgh Penguin. Obviously, as a Flyers fan, why would I care about the Penguins? But it's been so interesting to watch this guy because he's a super likable guy. Every story you hear about Mark andre Fleury is how funny he is, uh, how funny he is to have in the locker room, how he's the perfect guy to be in a tandem. Because you look back at his situation in Pittsburgh, he had to move aside for, for Matt Murray, who's already trade bait in Pittsburgh after his two cup finals wins. And how much is that him not having someone like Fleury in there with him? Because a lot of goaltending is mental. But he was the perfect guy to have in that situation in Pittsburgh. Because he was going to sit there with a smile on his face and he's going to back the guy who's getting in the crease over him because he's just that great of a teammate. And he's proven that. And again, we talk about roles and guys not complaining, not becoming a distraction. That is such a major thing here that people don't think about or talk about. Now, maybe it doesn't happen as much at the professional level because guys are more willing to kind of dive into those roles a little bit more. But at the end of the day, if you think you're a scorer, You're not going to stop and be like, oh, yeah, I'm here to play uh, uh, the checking role now because that's what my coach wants for me because they've got other guys that can score. In a lot of situations, guys don't want to hear that. They're not willing to put their ego aside. Marc-Andre Fleury has had no problems doing that. And I just think he's a great fit for wherever he's at. And he's in another situation here in Vegas where Leonard's getting some shine. And you're not hearing it from Flurry Now, the media is still jumping on things. His agent didn't help things when Leonard got several starts. And, you know, he tweets out a picture of him with a sword in his back, and it says the head coach's name on it, DeBoer, going right through his back. And Flurry demanded he take that down because he's like, what are, what are you doing? Why are you creating hostility where there isn't any? And that just just shows you what a great guy. Mark andre Fleury is and how great he is for this team in this situation. But having guys like Leonard and Fleury be as dominant as they are is incredible. It's incredible for this team who's already stacked. It's a, it's a team full of guys, like we said, chip on the shoulder, right? A bunch of throw-in guys. William Carlson, a throw-in player. Alex Tuck was a throw-in. Shea Theodore was a throw-in. These were guys that were thrown into trades so that they wouldn't take more important players to those teams as they thought in the expansion draft. And we can, we'll can we we'll get to the end of the year when we're talking about Seattle and their expansion draft. I still think there's not a chance in hell whoever is putting together that Seattle team can do a good, a good enough job that can compete with what Vegas did in their expansion draft to have their team compete right away. Because of the, the moves made where teams panicked and said, Take this guy. And take this other stuff, so that you don't take this guy that we deem important, and then the guy that was a throw-in ended up being a home run move for Vegas over and over and over. Every time I see Alex Tuck score a highlight reel goal, it blows my mind that he was throwing. Him and Eric Haller were throw-ins. Hollow's already moved on, and Vegas has continued to make moves. But it just Minnesota just said here, Riley Smith. Do you see the the things he did in the playoffs so far? He was a throw-in from Florida. I just don't see Seattle having that same level of success in that in the next expansion draft. I just don't see it. Vegas just hit everything out of the park and they continue to. Mark fucking Stone, are you serious what this guy has been able to do? His two-way highlight reel is unbelievable. This guy getting sticks and lanes and turning pucks over and just everything he's contributed. It's I mean, it's funny how when a trades made on deadline day he was the big steal a year ago the big trade not steal but the big move made and then you know the big contract that came with it and, and and apparently it was out there like people people saying man how come other teams didn't want to get mark stone it wasn't that they didn't it was that vegas was one of the only teams he was willing to sign that extension with but then you the date that the extension was made you had a ton of people saying man Is that deal really going to look good in in four to five years? And that's the focus immediately trying to break this thing down of what it's going to look like in five years? What about right fucking now? Mark Stone looks like the man, and Vegas nailed it. Because this is three straight years of this team not only being competitive, but potentially battling for the Stanley Cup. If it wasn't for that BS situation against San Jose a year ago, they were my pick last year. And here they are again. Vegas is that damn good. Peter DeBoer, George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon, their goalie tandem, Mark Stone, all of it. Vegas killing it. And now they've even this series with Dallas. Now let's talk about Dallas. The fact that Dallas won the first game of this series, won nothing, blows me away. Everything Dallas has done has been uber impressive in these playoffs. This is a team, I think a year ago or so, I was starting to get high on. I was like, man, Ben and Sagan, I still love those guys. I love some of the additions they've made. Radulov was a guy a couple of years ago that no one really wanted to, to, to make the move to go get back out of the KHL. Montreal was the first one to do it, and then he played well in Montreal, and then teams were like, okay. But then Radulov wanted a lot of money and wanted a lot of term, and most teams were turned off by it. Dallas said, we'll do it. Great fit, great fit. What does Biz call him, a farm animal? The guy's insane, but he is a hell of a player. He's a guy that can get the rest of your team riled up because when he scores and when he does anything, he is so excited and thrilled and gets going, and I feel like that is huge for a bench and for a team. But there is not a team in these playoffs that has had more success based on their secondary scoring than the Dallas Stars. When you focus on this team, you say, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan alexander radulov these are the guys that need to carry you to the finals ben bishop these are your guys ben bishop has played one game and he got pulled in the first period anton hudobin who i i believe i said when it came to the calgary series that if ben bishop doesn't start i expect calgary to win well they didn't dallas won hudobin played the whole time and he's been fantastic talk about one of the best backups in the league it was easy to say Yaro Halak for the last couple of years, but how about the guy who was in Boston a little bit before him? Anton Hudobin. But he's been fantastic. Dallas has really gotten so much out of the rest of their team outside of their stars. And it's incredible because that pressure is... I heard Mike Commodore say this, and he was 1,000% right when talking about this series when it was Calgary and Dallas. And saying, man, this, the, the, the Flames really needed more out of Monaghan really needed more out of Goudreau and Kachuk got hurt and that was tough because he was really giving them what they needed but their stars weren't giving them what they needed but then he said you look over at Dallas and said man the pressure's really not on Ben and Sagan and Radulov why the rest of that team is getting things done you're getting the value from the rest of their team as well they have one of the best young defensemen in the game in Miro Heiskanen John has really developed into being more than just an offensive defenseman. When we first came into the league, it was like, man, another great offensive defenseman. This is going to be fun. That guy's throwing massive hits. He's got an A on his chest. He's proven he's a leader as well. It's fun to watch. This Dallas team has a lot of fun guys throughout their lineup. They went and got uh, uh, Joe Pavelski. You understand why San Jose didn't re-sign him, given that they're in cap hell right now. That's a, one of the worst teams in the league last year, and they got a defenseman for the next seven years for $11.5 million who's on the on the downside of his career. You know, I don't mind the money they gave to Vander Kane and a bunch of other... I understand a lot of the cash that they've had to throw out, uh, Logan Couture, everything else, but they let their captain go. Where did Joe Pavelski go? Dallas. Great fit. Love it. Now, I've been surprised overall with this team's success, but again, that the depth scoring you're overall getting from this team has so much to do with why they are where they are and nothing really is proven more than in that game seven versus colorado when a guy who played in two games in the bubble 11 games in the regular season gets his first real taste of playoff hockey in a game seven scores a hat trick yoel Kiberanta, and all the kid can say after the game is man i hope they'll let me play again soon i think you'll be all right i think you'll get back in there but it's 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 such a true point in that how much these other guys have stepped up on this team to kind of take that pressure off of ben and sagan but i remember when when the series began between dallas and colorado i expected the avalanche to win this series now granted they were beat up they had a lot of guys get injured and it really was disappointing for Avs fans and just in general I mean, I wanted to keep watching Nathan McKinnon. I wanted to keep watching Nazem Condry These guys were putting up serious numbers. Cal McCarr. Kale McCarr, excuse me. But all the injuries that came for Colorado, something had to give at some point, and Dallas got it done. Now, could the Avs be putting in work and, and have a good, fun series against Vegas? Probably. I still think Dallas will have a lot there. But for the most part, you're not even... I think Sagan has one goal. But in that series as well, against Colorado, I saw online, people were calling Jamie Benn a glorified fourth liner. That's hilarious to me. How much this guy contributes, because it just shows how much people are literally just looking at stats and not watching games, and making ridiculous comments like that. Jamie Benn has been a tower of power since the second he walked into the league, as a fifth round pick. But there's just something, look, there's big guys in the league all over the place, but there's... I've played with a million guys who are big, but have no idea how to adequately use their size. Jamie Ben knows how to use every inch of what he's got. That guy throws the body around. Now, look, again, Avs fans that are friends of mine, I live in Colorado, so I'm surrounded by them. And a lot of people were frustrated with the hit on, was it Eric Johnson, who already injured his knee, I believe, earlier in that game, and then Ben throws a heavy hit? Ben knows how to throw the body around. He knows how to fuck people up, and he did it right then and there. And I don't think there was any ill intent to what he did, and, and to the way he threw his body into him. You can slow a play down and break it apart. The way people were on the Ryan Reeves hit in, in was it Game Six against Vancouver against Mott. And briefly, I'll say quickly: if all you hit is the head, I expect a suspension. I expect the five in a game and all of that. Do I believe there was intent on that hit? No. In the same way, I don't believe there was any intent to hurt Eric Johnson from Jamie Ben. Now, if this team has any chance of beating the Vegas Golden Knights, they need Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan to be their best players, along with the secondary scoring. I don't think they beat Vegas. I think a lot of people don't want to see Vegas and Tampa because it's the top teams and you like to see more fun mixed in there. And we're getting it. The fact that Dallas and, and the New York Islanders are even in the playoffs still is getting that but the best teams and we've known it for a while throughout this season are vegas and tampa now granted boston had the best regular season and would things be different for boston had this bubble not happened had the pandemic not happened maybe but what's the point in talking about that it did happen we are in this situation and this is what we've got and the best team on paper is the tampa bay lightning and in the western conference right now the best team on paper and is performing that way is the vegas golden knights Look, I have a a good friend of mine who I talk hockey with a lot. He doesn't want to see those teams. He is very much on the, I don't want to see Vegas do anything successful yet because their fans don't deserve it yet. And I think it's a hilarious take, and I get it. Trust me, I completely get it. But I went to a game in Vegas this year when we were still allowed to do that. What was it, January 2nd? They beat my Flyers in Vegas. What an atmosphere. They have it. They nailed it. A friend of mine who I went to college with who, who lives in Vegas hit me up because he saw pictures I was taking that were on my Instagram stories and things from being in that building. And he's like, what an atmosphere in there, isn't it? We're a hockey town now. And it sounds like such a joke, right? From all those other teams, all those other spots, all especially the Canadian cities that are pissed off that a team went to Vegas instead of Quebec or Hamilton or all the other technical available cities in Canada that they say could support a team. Look. If you haven't been to a game in Vegas, when you're allowed to again, do it. That's a hockey city whether you want to hear it or not. The second you walk in, there is night stuff everywhere. And maybe people are just eating it up because the team's been successful. Fine. I don't care. I want hockey to spread and to go to these other cities and to to become a bigger thing. And I'm happy it's happening in Vegas. And I want that to spread everywhere else. But look, the Vegas Golden Knights are a damn good hockey team. The Tampa Bay Lightning are a fucking wagon. And I hope those teams match up in the finals. They probably will. So if you want to say predictions, that's what we're going to say. It's going to be Tampa and Vegas. Oh, how did you choose the top two teams? But look, do you, do you really see the New York Islanders coming back against Tampa? I, I saw the argument that you don't want to run up the score against someone because, you know, expect... I think it was Commodore that even said it too. You you, you expect you don't want to embarrass a team because you expect them to come back and, and you know, try to right that wrong. Fair enough, but if I'm Tampa, I'm not afraid. They're better. They're better all the way around. It was a fucking joke what Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov were just dicking around doing out there, putting together, putting on a show in that first game. They had a week off to just sit around and watch the rest of the playoffs, sitting in the bubble, can't be with their families, can't do anything but watch and think and play hockey. And the work they did on the Islanders, man, woo! It's fun to watch. And eat it up now. Soak up all the hockey right now. Because I have no idea what's coming after this. Look, I don't know what's... In in a world we're in right now, in the pandemic world that we're in right now, they can't do bubbles for a full regular season. I don't think football's really going to happen. I mean, they keep talking about it. I think it's starting next week. Let's see how far they get. Baseball's still sort of doing their thing. I mean, I, I look at MMA, who I'm a big fan of. Other episodes of this program are MMA-related. When they go do the bubble and fight Island, I'm not worried. But every week when they're in Vegas, fights are getting called off to COVID positive tests. Are guys, you know, legitimately sick and unable to perform. No, they move the fight literally a week or two, and they pass and they 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 get a negative test and they move on. I'm not. We're not getting into the seriousness of the disease. But I'm talking about just positive tests and whether you can continue playing. And avoiding positive tests, without bubbles, I have no idea how it happens. So enjoy what you're watching right now, because I don't know when we're going to see regular hockey again after this. So soak it up, enjoy. I have to now re-watch the game that happened tonight. Now granted, you're going to hear this on Wednesday, September 9th, when it does come out. But i got to soak up every second of hockey that I can over this next little while but man enjoy it tampa new york islanders it's 1-0 tampa right now vegas golden knights and dallas stars are tied at one this is great stuff man i love the nhl i love watching hockey and i can't wait to uh to break down the next bit so whenever i have some time here and we can get into a little bit more as more develops within these conference finals we'll break it all down right here on the quick mitts podcast this is episode number three that we have now completed we'll get some mma mixed in there soon there's a lot going on they're gonna get ready to go back to fight Island. there is a big chunk of stuff to cover the rest of the year so we'll get plenty of, of mma in there as well but right now it's hockey time baby we got four teams left soon to be two and i cannot wait to see who's the winner of the covid cup thanks for joining this is the quick Bits podcast